So good morning, everyone. How are you? I'm Jamie. You are? You're my family, so you are. Okay, so um, new series today called Kingdom Culture. Anyone excited about that? You say, tell me at the end. Ask me at the end, I'll tell you. Okay, so um, if we go to flip on to the next slide, please, that would be great. My, I'm not sure if you can see those photos, my eldest who's 15, uh, has just returned from a tour, cricket tour to South Africa, uh, which is very exciting. Uh, a trip for a lifetime, I think. Uh, we were slightly jealous. We couldn't go. And uh, he's been up Table Mountain. And uh, he spent time at Cape Town on the waterfront. Uh, he went on safari. There were no lions um, or kangaroos, apparently, but there were rhinos and, and hippos and giraffes and zebra. It was amazing. They went to a township. They played some drums in the township, which was, was great. Uh, he played cricket under floodlights. Apparently, they were bad floodlights, but he played cricket under floodlights. Um, it was interesting for Ollie. He was with an under-18 team. Ollie was 15. He was a year younger than anyone else, so it was interesting and challenging. We, we describe it as character-building. <laughs> And, and interestingly, Ollie was introduced over this ta- time to what, what I'm going to call tour culture. Now, if you've been on a sports tour, you know what's coming. If, if you haven't, then this might be a little mystifying and perhaps eye-opening for you. Disclaimer before we start, it was an all-male tour party. I can't comment on the other side. So, so one of the things you get introduced to right at the start is the, the fines committee. So, um, you know, in the course of the week and evening meals, there will be various awards given, which suffice it to say are not always entirely complimentary. There's usually, I won't use the word because we're in church, it's slightly rude, but there's always a slightly colourful hat that is given to a certain person who makes a special contribution to, to the day. So there's the fines. Uh, I mean, I recall strange things like, like haircuts and eyebrow trimmings for my sports tour uh, experiences. Um, there's often, dare I say, drinking involved. Hopefully, hopefully not in this case. They're far, far too young for that. You know, there are tour nicknames. People come home with all sorts of different names. And suffice it to say, my son was introduced, much to his surprise, to all of this, and it appears from his uh, retelling of the story that nothing much has changed since my day. Sports tours, hockey, rugby, cricket, they they do have a culture of their own. My my first tour wasn't quite so glamorous, and I have no photos. My my first tour was a school first and hockey tour to Sidmouth. Get in there. Uh, This this tour was, was memorable for me for my introduction to scrumpy and skinny dipping. <laughs> in that order. And, and you've got to remember that there was England in February. Not, and not the February we've just had, either. Uh, what, what, one of my outstanding memories was that the teachers were by far the worst. And the following year, but I think I was 16, 17 then, the following year we went to a, a nice festival in Oxford. I was much better prepared for what was coming. Nothing, however, could prepare me for the shock of university hockey. 
And again, just a culture entirely of its own. So fairly early on, we were preparing for our first big, it was UAU in those days, universities away trip. Right? We went to Bristol, Bath, and these kind of places. And I was told we had to dress up. Okay, this is strange. I was 18, but now I thought I'd grown out of that kind of thing. But anyway, I think on our first, uh, blue, uh, first trip, we went to the Blues Brothers. Slightly scary thought of 60, 70 male hockey players from the age of 18 and 21 in Bath dressed as the Blues Brothers. I'll leave a lot of the rest of it to your imagination. I think the next trip we went to the Roman Empire, that was easy. You just took the sheet off your bed. That was much easier to, to arrange. But, you know, not only that, there was a lot of singing going on, and I'm not going to sing you the songs. We had these... these no, you don't know. I can't remember them. I didn't know any of the words, Mike. I didn't know any of the words. And, and we had these things called fresher initiations. Goodness me. People have died from those kind of things. I should be talking to Dave Dunner. He knows what I'm talking about. But, but when one found oneself in this rather bizarre culture in which there was quite a bit of drinking, if I'm honest, not for me, of course. I, I, was, I was growing up in a nice Christian home with teetotal parents, so this is a bit of a shock to me. It was a case of either sink or swim, adapt or quit. And to be honest, some people did. Uh, my, my memory is arriving at university knowing next to nobody and feeling like one of the thousands of people. I felt, I feel like this when you go to London, where you're just one little ant in this huge, great community. But by the end of the three years, I was having a personal audience with the vice-chancellor. The reason was that I was called to explain the antics of the hockey club. And um, the good news is I just was just about persuasive enough to, to keep the hockey club uh, float, afloat as a result of all of that. I just remember feeling slightly aggrieved that we had been singled out because, trust me, the rugby club were a hundred times worse than we were. Anyway, the moral of the story is that, that different places... Uh, and different environments and different clubs and different offices, different schools, different churches, all have their own cultures. S sometimes th the differences are obvious. That they shout loud to you the moment you walk through the door. Sometimes they're rather subtler. M you, you can't see them at first they don't become apparent immediately, but trust me, they're there and they're powerful. If you don't believe that the different churches have different cultures, I'd like to set you a challenge. Next week, I suggest you go to Hillsong, London, and then stay down there, have a nice time, and the following week, go to St. Paul's Cathedral. And you'll discover the different churches have very different cultures. I'm going to define culture right at the beginning. This is my definition. It's quite long. I'm a preacher. You shouldn't be surprised about that. Uh, culture is a set of observable patterns, beliefs, behaviors, disciplines, terms, and expectations that characterize and permeate a group of people by which they are known and recognized. It influences the way people think about speak to, act towards, and see the world around them. It is powerful and pervasive. It determines vision and value and priorities 
and it becomes purpose and identity. And culture defines what is normal. I don't know about you, but for me, it makes me think, what is, what is barn culture like? What, what does barn culture feel like? If it's your first visit, you can come tell me at the end. What do you sense as you walk through those doors? What are the characteristics that jump out to you? What are the points of difference? What attracted you here? And can you articulate why? It'd be very interesting, uh, Connect Gateway, hearing people talk about their early experiences coming to visit the church. I've I've preached in church and I've watched people come as guests and sit there with terrified looks on their faces, all service, thinking, what have we done? Not here, of course. What have we done? Let's ask this question. When you've been to other churches, what does it feel like? Again, what are the attributes and the values that, that stand out, good or bad? What's the personality You know, just as every individual has a personality, every church has a personality. What's the atmosphere like? What are the priorities and emphases? Last week for my birthday, thank you very much, Darren, and everybody. Uh, Last week for my birthday, I went to my brother's church, which is called Gateway Christian Centre in West Bromwich. They have a culture. It's a little different, similar, but a little different to this one. And it makes you wonder, what, what have they got? What do they carry? What do they stand for? And interestingly, my brother was preaching on just that last week, saying that we want our church to be known for its faith, its hope, and its love. He was preaching a message on hope. It's a good thing to do. So, so to, to recap then, then all cultures are different, sometimes dramatically different, sometimes subtly different. Culture can happen by accident. But culture can also be cultivated. It can be worked and tweaked and redirected, actually. I'm going to give you two uh, metaphors today. One is going to be a gardening one. One is going to be a a farming one. And the aim is to help you to to picture what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. The first one is the farming one. Uh, Anyone remember the story of the parable of the sower? Absolutely. Okay, so, um, as we remember, Jesus painted pictures for his audience that that he knew that that they'd understand. And one of the most well-known is the parable of the sower, uh, which you find in Mark chapter 4. And in this parable, Jesus talks about four very different types of soil. And into those four very different types of soil, the same seed is planted but they get four very different results. I was tempted to show my cartoon for this again, but I didn't. The first one is the seed is sown on a pathway. And on that path, the birds come straight away and peck it all up. Jesus said that what happens here is is the seed never takes root, and Satan swoops in and steals it immediately. The second soil is described as rocky, Soil. So there is, there is some soil there, but it's very, very shallow. What happens here is that the seedling springs up quickly, but is soon scorched by the sun, because it's got no roots, basically. 
And Jesus said, what happens here is as soon as trouble hits, as soon as strife and persecution, all those things, the plant just withers and dies on rocky soil. The third seed was, was sown among thorns, weeds, my back garden. And um, what happened here is that the weeds, they choked the plants so they couldn't bear any grain. And Jesus explains that, that what tends to happen is, is, again, people receive that word with great intentions and, and gusto and enthusiasm. But what happens is uh, the, the worries of, of life, uh, the cares and concerns, the, uh, um, the, the, um, the deceitfulness of riches, the, the lust for other things, they just they come in and they strangle the life again out of the plant so it doesn't produce any harvest. And then, of course, the fourth type of soil is the good soil, the fertile, deep, rich soil. And this is the one that produces a 30, 60, 100-fold return. And Jesus explained that, that this is where the word is, the word is heard and believed and received, and it multiplies from there. Okay, so the, the moral of all that is this. If you want that 100-fold harvest... You have to make sure you plant the seed in the right soil. It's pretty simple, really. And I don't know about you, but for me, you know, we long for a harvest in this place. We long for a harvest of God's glorious presence and power. We long for a harvest of the gifts and fruit of the Holy Spirit. We long for a harvest of healing and salvation. We long for a harvest of transformation and equipping. The question then becomes, what soil do we have to cultivate in order to grow that here at the barn? See, the trouble is, we often have a rocky soil or a thorny soil, and you think we can just plant the seed and get the dreamy results that we imagine. It just doesn't work like that. You have to work the soil. You have to toil and cultivate and plough. You have to weed and fertilise and water. You have to turn and churn that soil so it's fertile for harvest. Again, the question becomes, what is our soil like? We we can talk about that in a collective sense. You might want to think about that in, in a personal sense. Is our soil healthy? Is it fertile? Is it it moist? Is it aerated? Is the soil ready for revival and ripe for harvest? Is there any fertilizer required? Are there any weeds still to be plucked? Is it time perhaps to water the ground? So that's picture number one. Picture number two is a greenhouse. And if I'm honest, I'm stepping quite a long way out of my area of expertise here. But I'll give it a go. I think I have a picture of a greenhouse coming up. Boom. Oh, no, this is bananas. Right. Yes. <laughs> There's a greenhouse coming. Okay. Here's my, here's my inspired, intelligent thought. There is a reason we don't grow bananas here in the UK. Right? Do I need to explain that to anyone? There are some things that we'd like to grow, that will only grow in certain environments. 
Conversely, there are some things that we don't want to grow that will start to spring up if we don't set the right atmospheric conditions. Right, here, here comes the greenhouse picture. Look at that. Just like mine. Actually, mine would have cricket ball holes in it, probably. Oh, that's why I don't have a greenhouse. So, think about that greenhouse for a second. You know, you've got to set the atmospheric conditions just right if you want to grow what you want to grow. That's why you have a greenhouse and don't just chuck the seed into the thorny soil. So, for example, you, you don't want it too cold at night and you don't want it to get too hot during the day. So you need to have the correct ventilation levels. You're going to close the windows at night. You're going to open them probably in the daytime. You know, you want, you want to have enough sunlight, not, not necessarily too much. Not everything grows well in direct sunlight. So they say, I can't grow anything, so I'm, I'm not an expert on this, as I said. What about moisture levels? How often should we water? Should we sprinkle or should we soak? We don't want it to be too wet. Similarly, we don't want it to be not wet enough. What quality of soil do we have in the pots? Is it one plant per pot or is it, is it multiple seeds or bulbs or cuttings in the same planter? What fertilizers do we need to, to encourage growth? Well, what pest control measures do we have to take, keeping your children out, for example, or dogs in my case? Now, there are many reasons I don't have a greenhouse. But for those of you who do, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, say all that to say this. There's a picture for you. I want you to imagine our church being like a greenhouse. And to an extent, at least, we get to set the temperature. There are things that we can do to water the seed. We can use high-quality potting compost. We can, we can keep weeds and pests at bay. To an extent, at least, we can set the atmosphere. We can control the environment. And we can work the culture so it's right and ready to do what we feel God's called us to do. Just in the same way, as the farmer prepares the soil, as the gardener sets up his or her greenhouse. Let me, let me give you a specific culture example to help you picture this better. I want you to, to, to compare and contrast the religious Jewish leaders of Jesus' day with Jesus arriving on the scene and teaching the sorts of things that he did and doing the sorts of things that he did. Would anyone agree with me that there were very, very different cultures, two clashing, conflicting, opposing cultures in many ways? So from the, from, from the, the, the religious Jews, the, the high priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that they developed this highly religious culture. It was a culture actually of fear and control, it was a culture of legalism and ritual, and you had to get it right. And actually, it was, a, it was a culture of oppression and marginalization. Come and do it just like us and be like that. Otherwise, you're out on the fringes. Contrast that with what Jesus taught about the kingdom. 
what Jesus taught about faith, hope, and love. What Jesus taught about serving and giving and surrendering and humbling. What Jesus taught about grace and forgiveness and healing and transformation stood in direct contrast with that overtly religious culture. In fact, Jesus quite dramatically attacked and unpicked their culture. He skillfully and systematically taught and modelled what I'm going to call the way of the kingdom. And it's very interesting, isn't it? If you think about, again about that greenhouse, to, to contrast the fruit of the pharisaical religious culture with the fruit of Jesus and his merciful kingdom culture. Moving on a few years from there, think about the extraordinary impact of the Acts Church. Think about the explosive growth. Think about the the miracles and, and the conversions that they witnessed. And let's ask this question. How do you think their greenhouse was set up? What what was the culture like? What was the spiritual atmosphere or or climate or environment that they operated in? In the book of Acts, what did they prioritise and emphasise? What did they feed? What did they teach? What did they pray for? Here's a a defining question, I think. And I'll throw this out and we'll answer it over the next few weeks. Would church, and by church I'm talking about church with a little c, I'm talking about church with a big c, I'm talking about our church, your church. Would church change if we fully embraced Jesus' kingdom culture as evidenced? in the book of Acts, and and the key little expression there is, is fully embraced. I think that's a great question. I think we all know the answer to that question. I'd like to suggest that not every church in history has done that. But what I will say is, here at the barn, we intend to go for it. Next question, as I work my way through this, is, is what other... If kingdom culture, if what, they, if what Jesus taught and modelled and, and practised, uh, what, what they, they, they did in the book of Acts, if, that, if that's kingdom culture, what other distinct and observable kinds of church culture are there? I don't know what runs through your mind as, as you weave your way back in time, uh, think about your experience of the church you've, you've been to attended on your journey. What, what have you experienced? What kind of cultures? I suggest possibly the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hopefully, hopefully the good. I think it's more likely that what you've experienced is a frustration that good intentions haven't led to the desired outcomes. I don't know. I've never been to a church that doesn't have good outcomes. But, but, I, but I've been to... To, to churches whose, whose output, if you like, has been a long way from the dream. Why is that the case, I guess? So, so what I want to do is just look for a second, quite quickly, at different categories of, of church culture. I've got three on my list, four actually. The fourth one is kingdom culture. The first one I'm calling different styles. 
How many of you know there are different styles of churches? That's great. That's good. The second one I've called Lost the Plot. Now, the Lord has strongly convicted me about my stark use of language. And, and it's, it's, it's what, what, I, what I mean by that is, is a, a tendency to kind of lose sight of the main thing. They've drifted off purpose, if you like, to a, to a degree or two. Lost the plot. And the third one is, is what I'm going to call insidious, unwelcomed guests. And then the fourth one, which we'll get to, is, is kingdom culture. So let's very quickly, for the sake of time, look at these. The first one is, is different styles of church. You've probably been in many different styles of church. There are lots of good different styles of church. A list of five. This is a slight adaptation of a, of a list that Rick Warren uh, talked about in, in his book called The Purpose Driven Church. I'm going to call the first one seeker-sensitive or attractional. I'm going to call the second one charismatic. Rick Warren calls that the Experiencing God Church. Uh, number three, see, I'm going to call educational, kind of Bible school, Bible study, training. Number four is, is relational, kind of family church. And then number five is, is social justice. Now, now, all of those different churches will, ha- will have slightly different cultures and styles and personalities and emphases. And of course, you know, there's going to be a little bit at least of all of that in all of our churches because those are all good kingdom things. So although we will have elements of several, my, my suspicion is we're going to predominantly tend towards one of those. And the key to that is to recognize the calling that God has put upon you. The good news, of course, is that the world needs and that God can use a variety of different churches with different styles. As I said, they'll just have slightly different, or in some cases, considerably different cultures. Okay, my second category is the tendency to drift off the main thing, slash lost the plot. Uh, in, in this one, I've got, I restricted it to five. There were a few more. Uh, very quickly, the first one I'm calling the, the impotent God culture. This, is, this, this church I describe as being essentially a supernatural free zone. Second one on my list is I'm going to call an overtly religious culture. Again, different ways this is set up, sometimes kind of stuck 400 years in the past in tradition. Number three, I'm going to call a superiority culture. If you spend any time on social media, you'll come across churches and ministries that have a superiority culture. What they're telling you loud and clear is that they are right and you are just wrong. Curiously, those church and ministries do tend to be very small. Just saying. Number four is, is what I'm going to call the, the, the bless me culture. There's a temptation for us to become, kind of the vogue expression, consumer church. Uh, and then number five, um, this might be a little harsh, other people might disagree with me, but, but what is called the emergent or emerging church in some circles, very post-modern, pretty liberal. Uh, and in these churches, theology is, invol- is evolving and modernizing. And they've just lost that historical and biblical anchor. 
My, my third category I'm calling insidious, unwelcome guests. Do you know, and this is true of church and any other organisation actually, it is possible for unwelcome character traits to sneak in almost unnoticed. The trouble is, if they're not checked and challenged, they can start to become part of your personality. You know, these are things that the enemy would just love to subtly embed in our culture. In fact, many, many have left churches because some of these characteristics just became too prevalent. What, 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 what unwelcome guests am I talking about? I've got a little list here. Constant negativity. Or, or, or a critical spirit. Or opposing change. Dishonor. What about thoughtless unkindness? Have you ever been into an organization in which a thoughtless unkindness has slipped in? I mean, you hear horror stories, actually. Another one on my list would be people driving personal agenda. Emotional manipulation. Just a, just a general sloppiness and unprofessionality. These are, are things that can insidiously, sneakily creep in to your culture if you're not careful. And if you let them in, they will slowly start to poison that culture. An example, I've said many, many times, I intend to drive politics out of this church with a stick. We just don't want that kind of political maneuvering and manipulation. You know, we're not a governmental democracy. We are a theocracy of Jesus. I'm sorry, it's different. So so part of, of crafting the culture that you want is to chase out opposing cultures. I have another series on my head called Guarding the Gate. And therefore, you know, around here, we're working overtime intentionally and systematically to drive out, to root out negativity and unbelief and that critical spirit and gossip and disunity, gracelessness and all of their evil cousins. And I don't know if you've experienced any of those in your church, culture or elsewhere, you know exactly what I mean. See, here's the point. Those cultures produce a certain harvest when you sow your seed. And if the soil is full of rocks, guess what? The seed will just die. If the soil, if the culture is full of weeds and thorns, guess what? Even the best intentions, even the hardest work, even the most earnest prayers are just going to be throttled by those weeds. The flip, however, is, oh, the beauty and the power of fertile soil. You know, an environment ripe for fruitfulness. A a culture open and responsive to the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is what we long for around here. 
And that, that brings us to our fourth category of culture, which is going to be our topic for the next month or so, which is, which is kingdom culture. To set this up, just a series of questions. Firstly, what culture did Jesus create around himself? It's a big question. What, what did he say? What did he do? What did he teach? What did he model? What did he prioritize? What did he cultivate? What was Jesus' attitude to charisma and to the supernatural and to the miraculous? How did Jesus do ministry and how did Jesus do relationship? What did they do in the early church that brought such dynamic results? And I'd say, let's make the culture around here just like that. So, so the purpose of this series is, is to work our way through some of the, the qualities or, or attributes or, or values of culture that we're trying to work here. You might be interested, there's a little document at the back called A Barn in a Bottle, which is my attempt on one rainy prayer-filled day to, to, to try and encapsulate what I think that culture is. If you had to can it, what would it look like? And I'm not sure how many weeks we have in this series. We'll see how we get on. But here are some of, examples of some of the things that I intend to feature in this series. The first one is a culture of grace. I think this will probably be where we start. Uh, that culture of love and acceptance and welcome and forgiveness and honour. To which I'd say, what could you grow in a soil like that? If your greenhouse was set with those conditions, what kind of harvest could we have? Second one on my list is a, is a culture of positivity. Amen. Hopefulness and expectation and encouragement. I mean, who wouldn't want to live in that culture? I can think of some of the alternatives. No, thank you very much. Number three on my list it is a culture of holiness that stands apart from worldliness. In my reading through the, New, the Old Testament this year, I, I found myself in the wonderful, rich environment of Deuteronomy and the Leviticus and Numbers. So there, there's a relentless emphasis on being ceremonially clean in those books. Why is that? It's all about holiness. Number four is, to borrow a phrase, it is a naturally supernatural culture. I know the presence and power of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit, healing, prophetic. That's what I want. I want people to walk through the doors of this church and say, I can sense that in the culture. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, that we haven't had time to look at today, it talked about a sense of awe. I want people to come to our church services and experience and the awesome presence and power of God. Number five is, is a culture of generosity of spirit. A, a, a culture that gives and serves and blesses abundantly. We've been talking the last few weeks about rivers of living water. I want us to be a church with rivers of living water. Number six, the culture of faith. 
culture of boldness and conviction and passion and expectation and stability. Anyone else getting excited about this part from me? Uh, letter G, whatever number that is, seven, is a culture of teamwork. Out of Ephesians chapter 4, a shared purpose. This is evident in Acts chapter 2. Shared purpose and unity and community and purposefulness and togetherness. Let's cultivate that. Anything opposes that, let, let's give it the shift. Give it the wiggle, shall we? Nearly there. Number 8 is a culture, best way I can explain, explain this, is a culture that determinedly seeks to find that which is lost. That, that's Luke chapter 15, the lost, lost coin, the, the lost sheep, the lost son. I, I want that to be in our culture. I, I want that to be what we do. I want that to be an overflow of who we are and what we're filled with, that we're just on the lookout for lost things to find them, for broken things to fix them, for sick things to heal them. That's kingdom culture. And the last one, I don't know whether I have time for all of these, the last one is a culture of first things first. That that breaks the mould of of materialism and and individualism and entitlement and instead seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So I don't know about you, but that's that's the culture, at least part of the culture I'd love to see growing around here. Let, let's ask a question. We're nearly, we're nearly How are we doing? How are we doing with all of that? Well it, well, it may be a revelation for you, and if it's your first Sunday, you've got no point of reference, really. But, it, but if you've joined the barn in the last year or so, actually, we've been working this culture hard for quite a long time. You know, there are elements of what goes on around here that I have pushed and taught, and worked, and championed intentionally and determinedly. Some of those things are are obvious and visible. Others of those things are slightly subtler and perhaps behind the scenes. But but I'll say, as pastor, as, as leaders, as a church, we are determined to keep working this culture. Just for a second, I'd just like to invite you to close your eyes. And if you've already had them closed for the last 15 minutes, God bless you. I hope it was peaceful for you. <laughs> so close your eyes. Just, just pause for a second. Just close your eyes and dream. Dream of what you think church could be like. I don't know how big you can dream. I can, I can dream pretty big. One of the fantastic things is there'll be a variety in all of the pictures that we see. But let's ask the question, what could church be like? What if, thank you Simon, what if God really had his way? What if we were putty in his hands rather than trying to make it the other way around. What if God was really on the throne? What if the Holy Spirit was was completely liberated, if that's the right expression? What if the power, the awesome power of the gospel was let loose? Okay, you can open your eyes again for a second. Once, Once that picture's 
formed in your mind. You actually need to stop and ask another question. The follow-up question is, what culture do we have to create in order to achieve that dream? What, what, what seed do we have to plant? What, what do we need to press into to get there? Back, back in closing to my greenhouse picture. This might sound slightly sacrilegious. If it, it does, I apologize. For me, the barn has always been like a giant experiment, like a greenhouse. What if? What if we create this culture? What if we set up our greenhouse just like that? What if we open that door? What if we pray those prayers? What if we make those changes? What if we strip back flesh and give the Holy Spirit entry and liberty? What could happen? I'll say this, we have by no means arrived yet. There's still a great deal to be done. Please bear with us. But how big can you dream? Because I am utterly convinced that if we can work that culture of worship and passion and faith and boldness and grace and responsiveness, if we can work that culture, there is no limit to what God can do. Anyone say amen to that? Amen. amen. Brilliant. Thank you. Let's stand and invite the wonderful worship team to come to the front. Uh, and I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to pray a, a bold, sort of responsive prayer to that. If you can agree with me at the end, please say amen. Um, while uh, all this is going on, over in this corner here, uh, there's going to be a prayer ministry team. And they are available this morning to pray for you, to pray for you and over you any issues and challenges that you may have in your life. If, if you've got sickness in your body and you want them to pray for healing, any of that stuff, please head over that way and they'd love to pray for you. Um, we'll do that as we'll see. I'm just going to pray. Father God, we thank you for the awesome presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, for all you came and did and modeled. Thank you that you took that yucky pharisaical culture and you turned it upside down. And out of that came the book of Acts. Lord, we want to be just like that. Our invitation is very simple, Lord. Come and work the soil. Come and develop the culture that you need to achieve in this place all that you purpose. And as we work our way through this over the next few weeks, Holy Spirit, would you lead us, guide us, would you correct and change us if necessary? Would you inspire us and encourage us to press in to kingdom culture? Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.